Welcome to the Gump Runners Podcast, episode 72. Here with you tonight, Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Jeremy Law, following Alabama's 49-26 to road cover over the Arkansas Razorbacks. And uh, another loss for Auburn on the Plains, LSU scoring 21 points in the second half to uh, to come back and beat Auburn 21 to seven. We'll definitely dive into that game. Um, Bryce Young, we, <clears throat> the reason we waited so long to release the podcast this week was because we were waiting on some kind of Bryce Young news, and we didn't expect Nick Saban to drop anything on Monday or Tuesday, but maybe Wednesday at the SEC teleconference, we were hoping he would drop some kind of nugget to let us know whether Bryce would be good to go or not. And good thing we did wait because on Thursday it did come out that Bryce is a, quote, game time decision. Um, we'll get into what we think that means and uh, what we think you can expect out of the quarterback situation uh, in the upcoming game this weekend versus Texas A&M. Uh, Texas A&M will also be without their starting quarterback. Max Johnson broke a bone in his hand. So you're going to get uh, Haynes King. Um, J-Law thinks that possibly you can get Connor – is it Wiegman? Wiegman, the uh, true freshman that was a four- or five-star talent, really good – really talented freshman quarterback. There's always an option. You never know. It is Jimbo, and he's got nothing to lose. Um but, you know, Alabama has been beaten by a backup quarterback at Texas A&M before as far as – or as, as recent as last year. So, we'll we'll dive into that game. But to start with this Arkansas game, this is a game I guess you can say back and forth, but not in the sense of score, 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 score. It was more like Alabama score, 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 and then Arkansas score, 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 and then Alabama score, score, score again. <laughs> so – uh, kind of a wild game, you know. If you're if you had a watch party here, you got a little relaxed after the first quarter. Yeah, Bryce went down, but Bama was still clicking. And uh, then you know, right before the half, Arkansas gets a fuzz of momentum and just takes off with it. They score right before half, and uh, they get the ball second half, and everybody knows. We'll talk about the third quarter. Um, but Lester, there's there's two. Wait, it's, it's, yeah, two things on the offensive line we got to discuss. Um, number one is is Tyler Booker, and I want your opinion on both of them, Jayla. I'm going to get yours as well. Tyler Booker sliding in. I'm guessing the left guard is the position now that's up for grabs because did I don't know if Booker even played at all at right guard. I did see him at left guard on, on three or four drives, but none in the second half, which is puzzling because I didn't think he played particularly bad. Uh, Cole Kubik, the offensive line specialist, um, ha- has stated more than once this week that he thinks that Tyler Booker is about to become a permanent piece. But the way I look at it, if he was about to take over a full-time role, you would see him more than three or four drives a game, which is what he continues to do. Um, and also the center position. Uh, you know, Darian Dalcourt uh, missed this game in Fayetteville this past week. Seth McLaughlin slots in. It's not only that the O-line doesn't miss a beat. They progress whenever Seth McLaughlin plays center. Um, Now, you know, his physical stature is not that of Darian Dalcourt. His talent level is not that of Darian Dalcourt. But so important in college football, particularly on the road, is communication. And Seth does a great job of that. You know, comes in the second half of the Iron Bowl. He plays against Georgia in the SEC championship game. He plays throughout the playoffs. So, Lester, if you're Nick Saban, Eric Wolford, whoever, whoever makes the call, I'm guessing that's the offensive line coach and Nick Saban trusted, what do you do with both of those positions? 
start with start with the guard spot and then you move to center. You have to play Booker. If there's a slight chance that he is better than who you're currently playing, you have to continue to give him those reps. Like you said, those three or four drives a game, that's not doing any good for his development at all. You know, especially on the road in that environment, that's the kind of type of place where you will want him to play as much as possible so he can have that experience in his pocket for games down the road like Tennessee, like the SEC Championship, like games where you're going to be in a hostile environment, you know, LSU on the road. You know, so for him to be that best player, part of that is gaining that experience in those environments. The next four weeks are going to be extremely tough. And he, and if he's your best guy for that left guard position, he has got to play. Um, playing them sparingly, it, it doesn't it doesn't help anybody, in my opinion. Um, now, as far as the center position goes, once again, going on the road with all these tough matchups coming up, McLaughlin looked damn good. Number one, you got to find out if Dalcourt is better than McLaughlin. You got to find out why his communication skills suck. I don't I don't know what the rhyme or reason for that is, but it don't matter if the offense is going so smoothly and communication is so well under McLaughlin. I mean, you're glad to have that depth there at that position, but you got to wonder why things run so much more smoother with McLaughlin over Dalcourt. You know what I mean? You know, Tennessee or LSU or, you know, any of these road environments, it's going to be crazy and you have to have superb communication. Seth um, got his... I guess there. I'm sure there was competition for that starting center job. McLaughlin gets hurt in fall camp, maybe towards the end of summer. I can't really remember, but I don't think he participated in the first two scrimmages of fall. So this is just another case of because something happened out of your control, you no longer get a chance until somebody else gets hurt. Uh, but if Booker is able to slot in for two healthy guys and spare, split time with them, I don't understand why the, a center position would not – or a center competition would not open up. Uh, and as far as the left guard, Lester, is that a possibility – or I'll ask J-Law. J-Law, is there a possibility that Cohen's doing just enough to keep his job? He's not blowing everybody off the ball. He's not exceeding any expectations, but he's not playing bad. Is that a situation where Saban's like, well, I mean, he's not really doing anything. And maybe Booker – like I said last week, I think that we favor Booker because he's a young guy. He's a freshman in Alabama. We've always had a freshman play, and that's our thing. You know, freshmen don't play at Alabama. Well, look, we got a freshman playing. You know, we always love to claim that. But is it a case of maybe Cohen's just not doing enough wrong? Well, I thought in this game when Bryce was on the field, Booker was playing, and Booker was oh, – he pancaked somebody on the deep ball to Bond, looked really good. And I really like the combo of Ekior and Booker at right guard and left guard. But when Milrow came in the game, and I think that um, the staff knew that they needed some steadiness on offense, they couldn't afford a freshman mistake in that situation where that's somebody coming off the left side, Milrow's blind side, hitting him. I think that kind of told you what the staff thinks about, you know, the the five that they continue to run out there to start every ball game, that they're just a tad better than the guys behind them. Because um, 
I mean, we from the time Milrow came in, I'm not sure that Booker took a snap in the second half. I'm not sure he took a snap with Milrow at all. So, and also thought that you know I thought Cohen played pretty well. He got a pancake taken away from him on a kind of to me a BS holding call. The uh, the defensive lineman had the momentum. I mean, yeah, we turned him, but we didn't really grab him. So um, I thought Cohen played pretty well. I thought Ekewer might have had his best game of the year um, for Alabama. But the whole offensive line, listen, I, just like you said last week, I'm good with whoever they play. If Seth McLaughlin's better than Darian Dalcourt, play him. If you think Tyler Booker can be better than Cohen, play him. But that's the philosophy that we, the, the Gump Runners, had last year is if J.C. Latham is going – if J.C. Latham starts six games, if he's going to be better than Chris Owens after those six games, play him now. And I think that's the kind of the same philosophy that we're taking into this um, Tyler Booker situation. If he's if he gets a, enough snaps under his belt early this year, if you think he's going to be better than Cohen or Ecu or after that X amount of snaps, let him play those snaps. Let's have the best offensive line possible by the time we play Tennessee, LSU, go on the road to Ole Miss. So I'm I'm okay with any any rotation they use, but I I do think there is a noticeable difference in how well the offensive line plays when Seth McLaughlin is playing center, whether it's the second half for the Iron Bowl, whether it's the uh, the game against Cincinnati where we rushed for like 400 yards, the SEC championship game where, you know, we did whatever we wanted to do on offense. I know the natty was a little bit different, but we also didn't have any top-end weapons to take the top off that defense. So I think Seth McLaughlin makes this offensive line better. At center, you don't have to be the strongest guy. Mm-mm, no, and it's like, I mean, you know, we've had two road games, two true road games. Um, one of them against Texas where Dalcor started at center and one mm-hmm. against Arkansas. I think Arkansas is better than Texas. Guys, Texas sucks. People are – what is, I mean, they are running up and down the field on Texas. They have one of the worst defenses in the Big 12. They shut Alabama's ass down. Does that – J-Law, does that not tell you what you need to know about the center spot? Yeah, the play call has changed a little bit. I think we'd all agree on what we've kind of sure, been doing yeah, on offense. Definitely going to talk about that. That's I think that even but said I mean the, the way that the game changed in the Iron Bowl when Seth McLaughlin came in I mean to me that was like I know you thought Chris Owens could play center but the right side of the offensive line was just so bad with uh, what's his name Damian George that it didn't really matter what you did at center so when they made that switch the communication felt better I mean everything just felt better with Seth McLaughlin and everything felt better with Seth McLaughlin again this week guys we didn't real we didn't give up a to me we didn't give up a sack we didn't give up a blindside pressure hit on Bryce like we did 45 times last year and Arkansas came into this game leading the nation in sacks they they still averaged 4.1 a game but they only got one that's only because Bryce didn't throw the ball away we almost held them sackless with that offensive line that we ran out there. And I think that has a lot to do, especially once um, Bryce went out and had a lot to do with Seth McLaughlin playing center. He's not the most physical guy. He's not the strongest guy, but by God, those guys are going to be in the right position. They're going to know the protection. They're going to give the quarterback the best chance to make a play. Yeah, definitely agree with all that. And, uh, um, you know, Arkansas, they brought gas too. They were not, they were not scared to bring heat, uh, which is how they get all those sacks. You know, it's probably why they're, uh, their secondary sucks, but, you know, they, they put them in such vulnerable situations where everybody could have seen that coming, but they do get to the quarterback enough to make a difference. And, um, but guys, this game, one thing I got to mention is Alabama as a team on the road, we mentioned it 
you know, we, we, we know about Bill O'Brien and all that stuff, but it seems like Alabama has done a poor job of overcoming adversity in road games. And I'm not necessarily saying losing games because that's not the case because you only lost one to Texas A&M last year. But, you know, there was some adversity in the Auburn game, but you never did anything to overcome it. Like, yeah, I understand the late drive in, 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 uh, in Jordan-Hare last year and then the, the game-winning drive against Texas. That's great. But to see this team come out firing on all cylinders, Bill O'Brien, I'll harp on him in a minute because he did such a damn good job with Bryce Young. B.O.B., I promise you, give me a couple of minutes. I'm going to praise you, buddy. Um, Alabama's up. And then all of a sudden, everything, the wind, I mean, talk about the wind getting taken out of your sails. Not that. They, they, they took a knife and cut the sail, like, top to bottom. That thing was out of commission. Arkansas scores 23 unanswered points. They execute an onside kick. Bama has a terrible snap on a punt, one of the worst snaps I've ever seen. Like, even if the play called for Burnup to go that way, there's no way in hell. The ball almost hit Henry T. Um, Alabama's playing with a backup quarterback. Everything was going in favor of Arkansas. And you're on your own 20, third and 15. Milrow's got no chance at throwing that ball for a first down. Absolutely zero. The guy is a piss poor passer. He has no chance of throwing that ball. But what do they do? They spy him with bumper pull. <laughs> Milrow's faster than everybody on the field except for his own damn running back. So that didn't turn out great for him. So he runs by him, gets a 77-yard gain. Instead of letting the adversity overtake them for – I don't know, 58 minutes of the game where it seems like that always happens on the road for the last two years, they nutted up and ended up turning what was once a five-point game into a three-touchdown beatdown. I have not seen an Alabama team play a fourth quarter like that in a long, long time. And sure, you know, you pop a couple of runs. That's not going to happen every game. You can't rely on that, right? You can't just be down late in the game and be like, oh, well, you know, we just need Gibbs to go 80 yards again. You know, that's not going to happen. That's not likely in college football. Um, it's more likely in college than the NFL, but it's still not a, a common thing. It's a rarity. And for you to get three plus 70 yard runs in, late in the game like that, yeah, there's a little luck involved, sure. But when you have big time playmakers and big time speed, which is why you went and got Jameer Gibbs and, you know, and Jalen Milrose in there can outrun anybody at any time. I just, I just think, I just had to say that that was it was so nice to see a uh, a Bama team start hot, then have adversity, let them get all the way back in the game. It was frustrating, don't get me wrong, but turn that adversity into something positive, and ended up, um, ended up winning the game big and covering the seventeen and a half point spread. Lester, do you have anything you got to do that? I just had to do that little monologue there because I had it written down. And I was like, I got to say this because, you know, I've been I've been pessimistic on this podcast. Sure. I mean, Bill O'Brien going on the road. I didn't have very nice things to say about it. I didn't have any confidence at all. Um, and I'll go over him in a second. Lester, is there anything, Lester, is there anything you wanted to add on to that? Yeah. As far as, as far as just how the game went. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like what you said. That it's good to see. It's good to see a team with with the pulse. Um, so far of the Saban dynasty, it's, you know, Saban murder ball, emotionless, beat folks to sleep, you know, whoop ass and go home. But no, this team went up, went through some adversity 
and responded positively to that. You know what I mean? Um, so many times it hasn't always gone that way, and they've just kind of eat by. You know, it's been a couple teams in the past where this game's happened, and Bama wins by, you know, three, four, seven points. No, they came back out, refocused, and beat them to sleep. So, yeah, I'm certainly glad to see that. Formation breakdown. I do it every week. I'm going to make it a weekly thing. Um, Bill O'Brien, props, bro. I mean, so damn proud of you. That The game plan you had with Bryce, you're coming out, spreading everything out. You're running the ball well. You throw, you know, a deep ball to Prentice. Uh, Isaiah Bond catches one. You had the long touchdown off of the check. Um, thanks to Bryce and Seth McLaughlin working together on the quick slant when they brought everybody. Didn't even have a safety. Um Great job. Yeah, he threw the pick on the first uh, drive, but if Holden doesn't get grabbed by the damn linebacker right there, then that's a touchdown. So uh, definitely not Bryce's fault or Holden's fault for that matter. Um, Bryce was uh, in the game for 26 snaps. They were spread. Of course, if you haven't been listening, spread is numbers to numbers on the field. You just have one guy touching one, one number and another guy on the other side touching another number, trying to spread the defense out as much as you can. There was 18 out of 26 plays where Bama was spread out across the field. That's 69%. Nice. Um, Double tight sets. There's only three out of 26. Two of those were short yardage, meaning we got to get two yards or less. I'm fine with that. I don't mind going double tight and trying to get a yard on third and one. Sure, why not? So 69% spread for Bryce. Dude, B.O.B., that's it, bro. That's it. I mean, that's what we've been calling for. Like, you did it at home. You did it against Vandy, and I doubted you. I question you. Can you do it on the road? Will you show me that you'll go on the road and have a put together the exact same game plan that you do when you're in the conference of Bryant-Denny Stadium? And damn it, buddy, you did it. When Bryce is in the game. Now, when Milrow came in, it was, it was a different story, and I'm not going to blame anybody for this. You don't game plan for Milrow to be in the game. And, guys, you can sit there. Saban can say what he wants about how we have packages for Milrow. They, they don't – I mean, they're not going to run them whenever he comes in because of an injury, right? Now, this week against Texas A&M, if Milrow gets a start, yeah, you might see some of those packages and some of those plays. But when you put a game plan together for a team, you don't ever expect – you know, you can't prepare for an injury. Damn, you're busy enough trying to prepare – for the regular game plan, right? You can't sit there and say, oh, yeah, well, what if Bryce gets hurt? Well, you know, and everybody can say what you want about how – or <clears throat> Saban can say what he wants about how the offense doesn't change when Miller comes in, blah, it's bullshit. Uh, that's not true. Um, Milrow can't do one-third of the things, maybe one-tenth of the things that Bryce can do with his arm and his pocket awareness and his feet and throwing off balance and his accuracy to all levels of the field, all this stuff anyway. Um, but Milrow can run like a freaking deer. And uh, so when Milrow comes in the game, this is a little surprising. Milrow played 35 snaps. 13 of those were spread. That's only 37%. 17 were double tight sets with, with uh, Kendall Randolph in the game. That's 49% double tight. Dang near 50% of the time once Milrow came in was double tight. And... I understand that maybe, like J-Law said, backup quarterback saying, let's just stay with Cohen. We don't want to change too much. Too much. Up. We're on the road. I mean, and plus, you know, Arkansas is just coming back, so they're 
probably a lot of panic going on in the office coordinator booth. Like, holy shit, uh, let's just try to run it and get out of here, wind some clock. Hopefully, the, hopefully the defense can get another turnover or whatever. And then, boom, you pop three long runs. Um, so I'm sure that was kind of the mindset of Bill O'Brien, and I'll give him a pass for that. That's fine. Got no problem with that. But, you know, hey, this week – I do expect you to see you spread it back out because if anything, you give Jalen more, more run lanes. I mean, you put him in there with, you know, 10 guys in the, in a 15, 20 yard box, you know, compared to their 11 guys in the same box, you've got no space. The more space you get Jalen Milrow, the more he can use his vision, the more he can use his feet. So I do expect to see Bill O'Brien go back to a spread game plan, but I definitely give him a pass. Um, J-Law, what was your your reaction from, from the game that that, Brian, that Bill O'Brien called? And now you had more confidence than I did. I thought you had been drinking the Kool-Aid, like I told you not to. But, hey, you got me on this one. You were right. Talk about the job he did in calling the plays, especially for Bryce while he was in the game. Yeah, listen, you know, I, I think if Bryce plays this whole game, this is probably a 49-7 game, not a 49-26 uh, game. But obviously, you know, I thought Bill O'Brien did a great job. Opening drive, man, you're talking about, yeah, you're going to first play of the game. You know this team blitzes a lot. You open it up with a two-yard run. I love it because the next play with a single high safety, you think they're going to come at you again. Yeah, we're about to turn our guys with the burners out. The beautiful throw, all the confidence in the world in Bryce Young. We're marching down the field. You're not – probably should have got that call. And – uh, where Holden got held, it should have been a touchdown. But man, with Bryce going out of the game, that could have that should have been a twenty-eight to nothing ball game when Bryce went out of the game. Instead, it's 14-0. I thought it was a phenomenal job of what Bill O'Brien did. Those first couple possessions with Milro got the ball with a great kick, uh, punt return from Kool Aid. Just let this guy run what he runs, get a touchdown. Still great poise, backed up on like a third and 18, the screen pass to JoJo Earl for the touchdown. This is this is where it kind of kills me because you're thinking you're up 28 on the road, we can ride this out. Yeah, we could have won at 28-26 in theory, looking back at the end of the game because they only scored 26, 26 points. But in modern-day college football, man, it, it with a dynamic offense, and I would consider Arkansas to have one of those, you can't sit on a lead. With 45 minutes to go or with, with 32 minutes to go in the ball game, four possessions could easily be four touchdowns. And we watched it with Arkansas. Things can go bad for you. A quarterback like K.J. Jefferson that can kill you with arm strength, leg power, he can run it. He, don't throw, he doesn't throw it well, but, heck, he's got arm strength. We saw it. You miss a few tackles on defense. It, it's too much to me to expect the defense to – get a stop at the, every single time down the stretch of a, of a ball game. And I told everybody at our house watching, I said, we have to score. They have to score five times without us scoring once to beat us. And hell, did it. they almost did it. They got four. They got three touchdowns and a field goal. And I'm or so, Yeah, whatever it was, and they missed a two-point conversion. Yeah, three touchdowns and a field goal. I'm like, well, one more time without us scoring, and we lose this ball game. And then Milrow goes for 75 yards or whatever it was. But yeah, it's not all on Pete. But I did think once the game got going, I know you don't practice for things with Milrow, but it still would have made things easier for Milrow in the third and fourth quarters of that ball game to spread it out, give him more run lanes. They called a beautiful draw play for Milrow, and he did not follow Seth or Cohen down the field. So 
he's going to have to watch that because that was potentially a touchdown run. If you watch Seth get a pancake, Cohen drives his guy down the field. But uh, I thought Bill O'Brien did a great job, man. It, it's, it should be easy to call plays for Bryce Young. I think that's been our biggest problem is it should be easy to call plays with Bryce Young, with a, a Drew Brees type of quarterback that you have. It should be super easy. Bill O'Brien's made it look that way the last two weeks, and I think that's what we've all wanted it, to be easy for Bryce Young to find his receivers and let these playmakers make plays. And that's what Alabama did for the first, what, 24 minutes of that game and got a little more difficult after that, but Alabama still gets a road cover, and to me that's big. That's huge, man. And uh, Yeah, we definitely want to see the, the spread back in Bryant-Denny Stadium on Saturday. We'll come back to Alabama in a minute, but – for the second time in three weeks, Auburn loses at home. They go on this five-game home stretch to start the season. The easy part of their schedule, guys. I mean, did they play a ranked team other than Penn State? LSU just got into the top 25. Missouri, no chance. So Penn State, the only top 25 team they played. And uh, and Auburn starts in year three and two. It's not looking good for anybody over there, Auburn another double-digit halftime lead in an SEC game. I think it's five five in a row where they've had double-digit leads in the first half of the SEC games. And they what they beat Missouri. That was it in overtime. That would be it, right? Um, so, Barn loses 21-17. Brian Harson walking on just about the thinnest ice you can walk on without it breaking. Um, a lot of people on the planes are saying it's not if, but when Harson gets fired. So naturally as Bama fans, we just want them to lose every week. Right. Guys, I'm gonna tell you, I got upset with J-Lo and Drew. J-Lo, I'm gonna let you defend yourself here. Lester, I get to you, man. I'm sorry. Gotta go back. I just thought about this. Look, J-Law and Drew Montgomery, another gump runner that just refuses to come on the podcast for some reason. Um, I think he works nights. I'm, I'm just messing with him. But uh, they tell me that – what is it you guys want Auburn to beat Georgia because it would be funny how? I, I think it – Kirby has just put himself on this pedestal. Paul Feinbaum continues to say he's the new Alabama. I mean, that, this, that type of stuff that just – that really pisses me off because I don't care what you say. Alabama has gone on the road. Uh, they haven't looked great. They've lost some games they're not supposed to lose. But, dude, Nick Saban, did he not just go 80-plus wins against unranked teams before losing to A&M last year that finished the year ranked? I mean, that were, they weren't an unranked team when we played, and they were a good team. Um, and then Georgia comes out sloppy in Missouri. Listen, Missouri's a bad football team, well, I mean, very beat, bad football team. You beat Kent State by 17 at home, and that game right. was a 10-point game with, like, four minutes. I just, Georgia scored late to get that thing to 17. So, two yeah. weeks in a row, Georgia's played piss poor. So, the, I think that what's what's making Alabama fans like me and Drew at least not root for Auburn, but th think it would be funny for Auburn to beat Georgia in between the edges because of the comparisons of what Georgia's program is compared to Alabama's program. And to me, guys, listen, they're good. They're the second-best program in college football. But if Jamison Williams plays in the Natty Alabama wins that game and Kirby's still sitting over there with no rings and a fan base that's upset because he had one of the best defenses of all time last year and Alabama was still going to torch it twice in three games, 
So to, to come back this year and Georgia fans laugh at Saban in the offseason when saying we had a rebuilding year, well, you're going to taste of that too. When you lose all your NFL talent, when you lose Najee, Leatherwood, your quarterback, I mean, Devontae Smith, Heisman Trophy winner, the, Chris Hare, I mean, just like all the – not Chris Harris, who was here last year, but all those dudes, it's hard. And no matter how good their backups were, five stars or not, it takes time to get on the field in Georgia – Dude, they had like five fifth-year seniors on defense last year. Like those guys were stacked up. So I think that's why most a lot of people, and maybe Lester would does or doesn't agree with this, but I think that's why a lot of people would think it'd be funny for Auburn to go beat Georgia just because of how people are putting that program on a pedestal, such as Alabama. And if Alabama went to Missouri last week and won by four, I mean, we'd be everybody would be talking about us right now. That's how we know that we're still the standard and Georgia is not. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I told dad that I said, if we beat Kansas State by 17 at home and then we go to Missouri, win by four, we were actually trailing with like four minutes left to go in that game. Did we drop to like number 15 or number 20 in the polls? <laughs> they dropped Georgia number two. So, yeah, Alabama would catch so much hell for that. Um, so, yeah, we're definitely held to a different standard than Georgia, even though they beat us in the national championship. Another problem, you know, is the hunger factor. Like whether people want to say it or not, you lose it. It's the hardest thing to do is win two in a row. Does anybody know that there's never been a three-peat national champion ever? I mean, USC did it twice in what, 04 or 03, 04, and then Texas stopped them in 05, and then Alabama in 11 and 12, kick six, prevented Alabama from doing it again because they would have beat JMO and Jimbo, uh, Florida, you know, Florida State. Um, but there's never been a three-peat national champion. And so it's very hard even if, even though you have new guys replacing all that NFL talent, uh, it, it's hard to stay hungry. It's hard to stay motivated. Um, and, and I think Kirby's finding that out as well. But my take on it, unless I'll get your opinion, Harson's a dead man walking. The only way he keeps his job is if he somehow wins out, which means you beat the top two teams in the country, both on the road. You beat Ole Miss, Mississippi State. Who else they got? Um, Arkansas, Texas A&M, it ain't happening. There, there's no chance. This is a five-win team at best. And I'm not saying Western Kentucky is going to be a gimme because by that time, the way Robbie Ashford plays, because I have a feeling that T.J. Finley's gone. I have a feeling he's packed it in. Calzada's done for the year. That Holden Garner kid freaking sucks. Um, and the way Robbie Ashford plays with him running so much and having to rely on his legs – that dude's going to be – he's going to end up in a hospital. Maybe this week. He's going to end up in, in a hospital somewhere. He, I mean, and so because he's reckless. He's a baseball player. He's not a football player. He is a baseball guy trying to play SEC West football at quarterback. There's no chance. And he, he doesn't know how to play the position. He doesn't know how to play the game. He's a shortstop running around trying to play football. Um, so, I think he's a dead man walking as well. But Harson's a dead man walking. I know he's getting fired. So – why not make it as miserable as possible over there? I want him to lose 63 to nothing nothing this week because I think even if you do get a 63 to 7 ball game, he won't get fired this weekend. And that's because they're a 30 point underdog. What are you expecting? I mean, he go there and you lose 45 to 7. Nobody's going to say anything because it was expected. And uh, you know, I do think after he loses to Ole Miss next week, they will fire him before the bye week because then you've got two weeks to get him out of there and then your interim coach in and get him whatever, seven, eight practices before you actually have to go play a game because it's tough. If you fire a guy on Sunday, then all of a sudden you tell some 
DB coach or running backs coach, hey, the team is yours. And you've got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So you got four practices and then a walkthrough on Friday. It's tough, man. So I think they wait till the bye week. Lester, I want him to lose every game by 100. J-Lo, I think it would be fun. He's not, like you said, he's not pulling for him. But he thinks it would be funny if they beat Georgia. Where do you stand on this? I <laughs> I want Auburn to win. I do. I'm going to get off this podcast. I'm no, 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 listen, 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 listen. Where's Matthew at? They hate Brian Harson so much. How bad would it look if you fired a coach who's – I wanted them to win last weekend because I was hoping they would get ranked like a top 25. And, like, how bad does it look if you're trying to get rid of a top 25 coach in college football? Like, this guy, Brian Harson, has led your team to 4-1, and one, top 25 ranking, and you still want his head on the spike. Oh, trust me. No, 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 no. If they win, well, I mean, I want the, do you know how funny that would be? That I if they I fire funny at all. That, it I would be I, after I will go down. I will go down and say they have fired the past two coaches they shouldn't have got rid of, and they can't and they can't take it at all because they know they never should have got rid of Gus. And if Harson wasn't trying to take the team and led got them ranked to the top 25, you can argue that they shouldn't have fired him either. So, you know, I don't know. I just – he is a dead man walking, and he is for sure out of there. But I think it would be so funny and so ironic if the team had half a pulse and was kind of okay at football. But since they're not, you really can't even make fun of it anymore. Well, to me, I think it would be – I think the funniest thing, if we're talking about pure comedy – I think number one would be like 63 to three. I just think that would be hilarious. I would watch that game over and over again um, because I guess I grew up different. You know, I, I mean, I dude, it comes in cycles uh, and I've always been told that now we've had a 15 year cycle. That's never happened in college football. It'll probably never happen again. So it's been, but you know, we still had to sit here and watch Auburn beat us guys, the misery they put us through when they beat us makes me want them to lose every game by 100. I want nothing good to come out of that program. I don't want them to have any recruiting tools. They rank like 60th in recruiting right now. And maybe a win over Georgia doesn't do that because, like I said, I don't think it changes Harson's future. Um, and that's I think it's because of recruiting. I think he's just given up. Um, <clears throat> so, but I just, man, I uh-uh. No. Well, I think another funny scenario would be for them to lose, what, like th- like 27 to 24 and, like, play with them but still lose. I don't want them to win. There's no scenario where Auburn could win this game, and I'd be like, ha, 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 that's funny. I guess I, I'm not made that way. And so I think another funny scenario would be for them to maybe blow another second-half lead you know, be up 14 to 10 at halftime and everybody all eyes are on Georgia. Then Georgia comes back and beats them like 21 to 20. I mean, I think that'd be funny too, but as long as Auburn loses the game, I don't care how it happens. Um, But anything you want to add about Auburn? I mean, it's by this time it is what it is. I mean, Ashford has no idea how to play quarterback. He played better against LSU as far as throwing the ball. Um, but I mean, Auburn's going forward on fourth and 10, uh, and they're running like, like four verts, like the opposite of what Lester does on PlayStation where he gets in the Maryland die and runs a fullback die for two yards. Like they're just running four verts on fourth and 10 
and uh, they win receiver passes on the goal line. I mean, has this guy just completely given up, Lester? He's he's doing what he can. He's throwing shit at the wall and see what sticks. And I, mean, well, I mean, I love the announcers going. The announcers going. You know, Harson's got a bunch of analytics guys that you know they know all these fourth down situations. I'm like, yeah. where in the hell in the analytics does it say go for it on fourth and ten? Man, listen, he's, I, he's coming out of the Kiffin playbook. That's what he's doing. <laughs> you watch the you watch the game. They, they've lost seven straight games where they had a lead at halftime, seven in a row. How is that possible? It's what time you? I'm telling you, it's hard to do. They were up four touchdowns against Mississippi State. They blew that one. It's just been off the rails ever since. I mean, I, I remember being so mad before that Mississippi at halftime of that Mississippi State game. That did Auburn's good? How can this happen? Brian Harson has these guys like. And then now they've lost seven in a row with a lead at halftime. Sorry for my friend, Brett. I, I apologize if you listen to this, but you guys suck. And what's even more funny is I, the only reason I don't hope you beat Georgia is so I can listen to the Twitter space after this game. I pulled it up. So I leave my parents' lake house. Auburn's up, what, 17? Is it 17 nothing at half? Seven, yes, 17. I leave at halftime, dude. So it's a 45-minute ride from Lake Jordan back to Silicon. I get back here. It's 17-14. What the heck is going on? And I, you know what's going to happen at this point. We've seen this the last six times they've had a lead at halftime. They've pissed them all away. So Drew sends us the Twitter space where it's just – I'm talking – it's not just uh, we need to make a change. <laughs> it's a shit show. And my wife's sitting beside me. She was like, what are you listening to? And I was like – the the sound of this is the sound of Auburn fans grieving, but it's also the sound of Alabama fans. This is kind of like you can hear us in the background just snickering and laughing at all this stuff that they're saying in this Twitter space. If you didn't go, if you didn't listen to it, it's still available on Twitter. But I, I just they got they're bad, and you know this is what happens when you're you compare yourself to something that you're not. This is when you try to achieve things that are unachievable for your program at least in the short term. And you got rid of a guy that beat Auburn. I mean, that beat George and Alabama like every other year. If you got him at home, you're going to beat him. And uh, had a chance to play for some SEC championships. And now you are right where a lot of people thought you would be after you let go of Gus Malzahn. So congratulations. Auburn probably finishes five and seven. And with the five and seven record, I'm going to have to save 20 bucks in gas by not driving to Birmingham to watch them on like December the 27th. So it's tough. It's like an annual trip now, seems like. Uh, <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> yeah, uh, one more shout out we want to give to Evan Wright, who not sure if he's a, a, an, a, a GR podcast regular listener, uh, but I'll be sure to send him this episode. Um, he gets married to a Barner on. And what I don't remember, I don't remember the date. Sorry, Evan. The thirty first, uh, they beat it the thirty first. No, it was the thirtieth, and they were playing Ole Miss. Of October. Yeah, yeah. And Auburn just uh, they beat number thirteen at the time, Ole Miss in Jordan Hare. I think they were six and one. If that's right, uh, they were rolling. Bo Nix throwing throwing the ball over the lot, and then since that, he's a total of three and seven. And against Power Five, he would be. Oh, and six, I guess you can include Houston in that. They are a group of five, and they beat them in the Birmingham Bowl. People 
forget that game that Houston did beat Auburn in the Birmingham Bowl last year. So three and seven um, since that wedding night. Remember at his reception, we watched Ole Miss or uh, Auburn beat Ole Miss that night. And uh, so, yeah, after that, uh, fat old three and seven. So we appreciate that. And uh, make sure you don't bring that up to your wife. She'll get pissed off and not let you see the baby for a couple of days. So we don't want that. Evan's a new father, so congratulations. But um, all right, guys, sliding back over to this matchup coming up. I guess I've released this on Friday. So tomorrow in Tuscaloosa, Texas A&M, this game four and a half months ago, five months ago, had a lot more juice than it does now. It still has a lot of juice in my opinion because even though – Nobody's talking about it in interviews and nobody's asked, nobody dares ask Nick Saban a question. He's gotten more sassy than ever, guys. He's not putting up with anybody's shit. And, uh, and so how the media dare not ask him this question, but about the Jimbo and Saban beef that went on in May of last year when Nick Saban accused Jimbo of buying his recruiting class, which was true. And, uh, Jimbo holding a press conference and then, um, calling out Nick Saban saying that he cheated at LSU and go dig up his skeletons and just basically just bashing Saban out. And then a couple of days later, he said he didn't have anything to say and that he's, he didn't want it to go viral. Like, buddy, you held a freaking press conference. You think nobody's going to like ever like show that nationally. <laughs> so anyway, Jimbo bitched out at SEC media days. And um, of course it's allegedly squashed or whatever, It'd be hard for me to imagine Nick Saban not bringing that up at some point this week because you look at this game, other than the fact that it's played at Ryan Denny Stadium and not Kyle Field, this game is eerily similar to last year. Let me write this down for y'all. Last year, Texas A&M, preseason top 10. They go three and two. They lose back-to-back to Mississippi State and Arkansas right before they play Alabama. They lost to... Mississippi State this year, but <clears throat> squeaked one out against Arkansas, which is a fluke. K.J. Jefferson fumbling on the one-yard line and Texas A&M returning it all the way for a touchdown. They did lose to App State, but last year, Texas A&M, very vanilla on offense, backup quarterback. Um, but, you know, he was in the conference of Kyle Field. I don't think it's going to work out for him this year. But on the other side, Alabama, a close win on the road at Florida last year. A lot of people were – they let it slide. They're like, you know, it's a tough play to place to play, blah, blah, blah. You got up 21 nothing. You just got to keep your foot on the gas. We're fine. Nobody can see the, the road woes. Um, that would be apparent in the future of that season. Um, this year, Alabama, a, a close win on the road at Texas. Um, now, granted, they just went on, on the road at Arkansas and beat them by 23 points. So – I'm not saying that it's going to have the same result as last year. There's no chance. Um, A&M's got one of the worst run defenses in the conference. Um, their pass defense is average. Uh, J-Law thinks, you know, he's got an opinion on, on what they'll try to do. Me, I don't think it matters. Would you have, you just, but I just wanted to show y'all how ear, like how eerily similar this matchup matches up to last year's and how crazy, to think that this is almost the exact same thing, you know, backup quarterbacks, AM this season was like preseason number six or something like that. Three and two, they're out of the top 25, just like last year. So it's hard for me to imagine that that beef has not been brought up by Nick Saban. 
or at least somebody else on quote accident uh, around the locker room, just in case the players forgot about it. Cause you remember that's just media days. Will Anderson saying, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, you know, we'll settle this in October. We'll see y'all in October and we'll, we'll fi- we'll uh, finish it then on the field. And so in case that was forgotten, I'm sure it's been brought up. It's hard for, for me not to imagine too. Big question in this game, the health of Bryce Young. I said to start the show, we were wanting to wait until uh, until Thursday to see if we can get some more information. We did. Nick Saban says, quote, game time decision. I, think, I know what that means. Lester, what do you think that means for Bryce Young? I think that Saban is just halfway screwing with Jimbo. And I also think that Saban probably said that to keep Bryce a little happy because you know Bryce wants to play, but there's no reason for him to ever play in this game. Not at all. I mean, I think that if Jalen Miro and company can't beat this team and Jimbo, then Alabama has much bigger problems than Bryce Young being injured at quarterback. So I think by him saying day-to-day, he's trying to screw with Jimbo just a little bit and also just let Bryce know that, hey, maybe there's a little bit of sunshine that you might play, yada, 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 whatever. But no, sit his ass down. Couldn't have said it better myself. Jalen, what you got on that? I mean, as far as Bryce Young, do you play him? Do you not play him? Me personally, I think the Saban's going to do exactly what he did with Tua after the LSU game in 2019. Uh, Mississippi State on the road was the following week. He said Tua's a game time, game time decision. Uh, and then he asked Tua, do you think you can go? Who the hell is going to say no to Nick Saban? Who's going to look that man in the eye and say, nah, I can't go, man. Sorry. These guys are competitors. Why do you come to Alabama? What do they preach more than anything in recruiting? That C word, competition. You come in here, you compete. And even though Bryce has no shot at relinquishing the starting the starting job to Jalen Milrow, he's still a competitor. He came all the way from California to play football at the University of Alabama. You think he's going to look at Nick Saban and say, no, I don't want to play, especially in a revenge game like this? So that's what Saban did with Tua. He said, do you want to play? Tua said yes, ends his career. Not saying that's going to happen to Bryce, but if it does, I'm going to lose my shit. Because just like Lester said, there's no reason for Bryce. Lester said it perfectly. If Jalen Milrow and company cannot beat this team, then Alabama has much bigger problems than just Bryce Young. I get he's a game changer. I get he's a playmaker. You don't need him for this game. A&M might not score 14 on you. If you can get to 17 points, this might be a lock. The way Texas, unless they have something for us, which Jimbo might, you know, we might have a busted coverage here, but Anaya Smith is hurt. He's a guy that scored twice on you last year. Weidermeyer's gone. You didn't cover his ass for three, four years. So he's gone. There's nobody in this offense except for the running back that can hurt you. And I think as Alabama has proven this year, you know, they played the best running back in the country. He ran for, what, 60-something, 70 yards and B. John Robinson. But uh, I don't think running backs are going to hurt Alabama. Yeah, I, I'm not saying you guys are being too confident, but I would ne- – I just – I think that if Bryce can play, you play him. This is an SEC game. This is your game where you control your destiny for the rest of SEC play. You win this one, 
historically you're always going to beat Ole Miss. This is a down LSU team that you're going on the road. This is also a game that if you win it, you do get cushioned for potentially going on the road to a top seven, top six Tennessee team next week and losing to them. So you build that cushion in. You take care of your division games. You've already won your other East game. I think this is a very, very important game. Now, I do think Saban, however, the only reason I think that they may not be playing the emotional game with this, though they tra- their coach trash talked ours, is because you have a chance to store up that it's tough to come back on emotional performances in back-to-back weeks. I agree with you guys. Alabama should win this game. Have we won this game all the time? Not necessarily. But if you don't play the emotion card, you come out and do what you're supposed to this week, you can get amped up emotionally for a road game next week where you're going to need it all. You're going to need all the juice next week on the road at Tennessee. So if Bryce can play, I think he should play. If he, Let me put it this way. If there's not a chance of Bryce further injuring himself, yeah. I think he should play. But, there but is. see, Tua, but Tua, he didn't re-hurt his ankle. He's a freak his- yeah, I get that. Freak accident. I still think it's because he couldn't get away because of the ankle. I Could still be. think that. But, you know, that happened a couple of times. He always got chased down from behind. You know, the, the Tennessee game, it, it's, it happens. Uh, he, he didn't have great speed outside of the pocket. Uh, he kept his eyes downfield too long instead of just trying to actually tuck it and run or throw the ball away. But I've bitched about him enough on here. Um, you know, prayers up to him. Uh, I don't want him to, to hear me bad-mouthing him. He might get a concussion. But um, yeah, oh, sure. If if there's 100% no way Bryce can hurt, but guys, or J Law, since you know we're, we're uh, have different opinions on this, if this guy's not been throwing 100% in practice, there's no way you run him out there, right? And you know he's been quote day to day. Saban said that Bryce has been quote doing some things at practice. That tells me he is not going live. Um, and quarterbacks aren't like talking about not getting hit, but he's throwing some maybe some quick slants, some soft stuff. He hasn't reared back and let that thing go. And so, if he hasn't done that, do you do you run any risk? And you're right about the importantness of this game because this is a divisional game, and I don't think it happens. But there is a potential if A and M beats you, and both you and Alabama run the table, A and M goes to Atlanta because they're undefeated in the uh, in the West. So you do run that risk, but as far as the emotional part of it, I don't think there's any emotion going to Tennessee. You beat them 15 years in a row. What beef do you have with Tennessee? The only thing I was saying is that in order to not overlook A&M to Tennessee, I think the beef would have been brought back up. Um, but as far as Bryce goes, sure, if he, there's no guarantee that he's going to get further injured or get hurt worse. Uh, well, I guess same thing. If there's 100% – certainty that he's going to be okay sure play him let him go but if he hasn't been 100 percent in practice do you run any risk of him being a quote game time decision no See, I don't, you, you I don't. You, yeah you can't risk it with that go ahead Joe. go ahead no i was just going to say maybe you guys are different than me i just don't have the utmost confidence that Jalen milrow can go score 21 against these guys maybe i'm crazy i just can i can see that he, this guy can't throw it. Like Chase said, he's got one-tenth of the arm talent. And the people, they love to come out and say any quarterback, any black quarterback that can run is Cam Newton, Mike Vick, Lamar Jackson. Dude, those guys are, are great passers. Michael Vick could hit you on a dime at 85 Gosh. yards away. So this guy is not – that's not who he is. He's a hell of an athlete, 
playing quarterback, he is much more Tim Tebow than he is, you know, Mike Vick, if you will. Just from a power running standpoint, this guy can run up and down the field. So I I just I look at the the deep slant he threw that he six yards short hopped. I think Isaiah Bond. Even I just look at some of the other throws in this game and like the, the throw to Burton, dude, you miss you. He missed Burton by 15 yards. Burton had easily, to st- easily stop, <laughs> jump. That's what I'm saying. I don't know. Are we going to continue? Are we going to be able to put enough drives together with this guy against a defense? Listen, they're not great. They have one of the worst rush defenses in the league. Pass defense is average. They also have the worst scoring offense in the SEC. So listen, if they score enough points to beat us, it's on Pete. But man, you'd love to go ahead and have that have this game in your pocket with your best players. But I do understand what you're saying. Yeah, sure. And, and um, you know, but thing is with Jalen, you prepare you prepare. I get how hard do you prepare as a backup quarterback? Because you know, you're a backup receiver, running back, guys are gonna get tired. That's a position where you can come in and play. Backup quarterback, how prepared was he to go into that game? And I understand that, you know, talent travels. I, I get that. Um, but do you have any more confidence in Jalen's passing ability? Now that he has a week of legit starter, 100% reps, and he's got a different, completely different mindset than he's ever had before. Does that give you more confidence or is it the same? Do you no, think he, I, I, what he is? Go, if you watch, if you listen to this podcast on Friday, go home, get on YouTube, watch the 18 minute version of the Arkansas game, watch the five Jalen Milrow incompletions, and then watch the four completions. Two of them behind the line of scrimmage, another one on a comeback route. These weren't difficult throws, and the five incompletions were, quite frankly, some. I mean, we hadn't seen dudes throw that a ball like that in Tuscaloosa since Spencer Pennington, oh, yeah. um, Brody Kroll's backups. I mean, that's how bad it was. Maybe Jalen Hurts a few times. <laughs> I don't know, but like that. That's that does not give me any promising result. That when these guys, when A and M you know, bring six and he can't get away and he's standing in the pocket looking for somebody that he's going to be able to, to deliver a great throw. I I hope I'm wrong because I, I want him to be good. I think it's a hell of a story, this guy. I mean, like I, I, I'm I'm a Milrow fan, but he's got he's going to have to throw the ball better than what he showed us he can throw. And some of the throws he missed were just some of the, the easiest one. One of them was a run pass option, guys, where you know you're pulling it and throwing it over the middle. And, dude, he dicked it. Five, six yards in the grass. Yeah. Lester, what do you think about that? Because, you know, do you you think Milrow can gain some more confidence having a whole week of him getting at least, if not 100%, then at least 80%, 90% of starting reps? Because like I I said earlier, I don't think Bryce is in there every other throw just letting it eat. Um, I think his arms may be at 70% uh, to where, like we were talking about earlier, maybe if we're down 10 at half, then you say, look, Bryce, we got to shoot you up. You got to go. And then I'm okay with them playing. You hurt. You know, if, if it's going to cost a, a potential, potential, if Milrow is going to have the potential to cost us a game and it's at halftime and you can tell, then yeah, let's, let's shoot Bryce up and let's, let's get him going. But, you know, in my opinion, Lester, we're not asking for Milrow to throw to go 38 for 40 for 350 and four tutties. I mean, you know, we need him, I mean, what, 14 for, 24, you know, a, a buck 80, buck 90, one touchdown. Right. You know, we don't need him to just, you know, light it up all over the field and to go all Tom Brady on. You just need to be able to throw it enough. How is your confidence level 
Same thing I asked Shayla with him having a week of a full practice and him actually preparing for a defense, watching more film, staying longer in the quarterback meetings, staying longer at the facility because he knows he's got to be the guy. Does that give you more quarter or more confidence in his throwing ability? Yeah. Well, first of all, I get confidence in the first place because Nick Saban is recruiting to put quarterback at the University of Alabama number one. That gives me a damn lot, a whole lot of confidence. Number two, this guy has been a quarterback his entire life, playing spread offenses his entire life. If he struggles, I think it'd be more so on Bill O'Brien not calling the plays to put him in positions to win. And, you know, we've been spoiled by Bryce. He doesn't, Bryce doesn't miss throws. He just doesn't do that. And Bryce Young is also one of one on earth. You know what I mean? So, if Miro misses a throw here or there, shit, man, you just got to chalk it up to the game. I mean, it is what it is. But I do think he is very more than capable of delivering the ball where it needs to go on time and make wise decisions and do things to win this ball game. Um, I don't think under, you know, under the severest of circumstances do you even think about putting Bryce Young in um, because with his – you know, injury, like you don't want to risk further damage to that shoulder. You know what I mean? Um, practice is different than a game. It's entirely different. And, and, and a, an analogy that I want to make is um, I'm a big baseball guy and I listen to baseball podcasts and Eric O'Flaherty was a teammate of Craig Kimbrell. Craig Kimbrell threw a hundred miles an hour, but um, O'Flaherty was like warming up or like spring training, or even during the season warming up, Kimber wouldn't hit 95. But when he gets in the game, that adrenaline running, and he's running that shit up there, throwing 100, he's getting guys out. Is Bryce Young's shoulder able to, you know, chunk it in practice? Yeah, of course, it can handle that. But when you get in front of 100,000 people, get that adrenaline running, and Bryce is trying to amp up to throw a 40, 50-yard bomb, we don't want that shoulder to come out of socket. You know what I mean? Like, that's not something that we want to happen. Not saying that it will, but that's something that you have to think about. Only under these severest of circumstances should Bryce Young play. So in that same breath, I have the most confidence in Jalen Miro to come in and, you know, lead this team and do what he has to do to get us to the win. I think one of the biggest reasons I don't have the confidence is the fact that Bill O'Brien told CBS in their scouting report, that this guy can't not not that he struggles throwing outside, not that he misses the occasional throw outside of the numbers. Sideline reporter with a brunette that does sidelines. Her quote, and it might not have been Bob's quote, but this is what we're led to believe that Bill O'Brien said, "Jalen Milrow can't. Jalen Milrow cannot throw outside." I mean, that that to me, I don't know, man. Like, this is a talented team we're playing. They might suck. They might, their record may not be great. They may have lost App State. This team still has talent. They're, they're missing something, coaching. NIO money's probably ripping that locker room to pieces. I get it. But to have the OC come out and say, this guy can't throw outside the numbers, that's just a little concerning. He can't throw, he can't be 45% in this ball game. He can't go four for nine. He can't go eight for 25 in a ball game like this. Um, hopefully he doesn't get to that point. We should be able to run the ball. They have the worst, one of the worst run defenses in the league. Hey, that's get, on me. be on the QB coach if he can't throw it out. That's on them. But the Lester hit, watch his high school tape, dude. He, sure, yeah. 
Yeah. He he's never this is not why he's at Alabama to, to let it ride, like Chase said, 40 times a game. He's not Bryce Young. He's a heck of an athlete. He's a QB two right now, and they're grooming him. He could probably get better, but this guy has limited reps throwing the football, and he's about to start an SEC game. I think we should still win the game no matter what. But I don't think it's an indictment on Bill O'Brien that Jalen Milrow, who everybody knew was going to be a work in progress uh, right. when it comes to passing the passing the football when he got on campus at Alabama. I don't think it's an indictment on them because if he comes if he comes into this game and is not a great thrower because we know that he is not a great thrower. Is he going to get some help back this week? Tyler Harrell, Aaron Anderson have been practicing with the team. Lester, do they slide in and start right away? Or, I mean, how, how do you see this receiver rotation shaking up? They may ease him back in. Hell, I didn't even know Jojo Earl was going to play, but he damn sure caught that ball and got himself a tutty. Um, but, yeah, maybe they'll just slide him in, ease him into the action for a little bit. But I don't anticipate a lot of playing time for those guys if they do come in. What I love about this year, <clears throat> J-Law, is the, the non – I don't know how to say this. I'm sorry. The mix-up within the receiver rotation. Like, Burton and Holden are going to be there, sure. But, you know, last year, you had Mechie and Jamo. They were there. And then you had Slay Bolden, who just would not come off the field. You know what I'm saying? Like, like JoJo spelled him at times. JoJo was in there on some four wide sets. But Slay Bolden was like a guy. And and I think Saban learned his lesson in that regard. Now I understand that not a lot of freshmen stepped up. You know, you had problems with with Hall and uh, and Leary. You know, had to play running back or whatever. And um, Brooks came on late, but I mean Slade would just would not be taken off the field. I love the fact that Saban, even though I'm not, I, I think Burton's disappointed greatly through the, through the first five games of the season. Um, I think Holden's been surprisingly good. I don't think he's elite, but I think he is a good, solid receiver. Uh, I don't think he's going to burn anybody deep. I don't, don't think he's going to break away from anybody, but I think he's a solid receiver. But I love that, I mean, you got Prentice in there. You got Bond. You got Law. You got JoJo. And so would it surprise you at all to see Aaron Anderson and, and Tyler Harrell immediately slip into that rotation of whatever now it could be, what, four or five guys? that are competing for that third slot and should nah. they be competing for more like with yeah, Burton? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think I agree with, with Burton being so unproductive and Brooks I mean, can't catch. Drive. He can't get open. Yeah. And uh, so do you think there should be more competition than just for that third slot? Yeah. Listen, man, even go back to last year, J-Mo was good for a big drop per game. Uh, Mechie early in his career, a big drop guy. There's no excuse for, Ja'Cory Brooks, Bryce running for his life on the play, rolls out, finds you, hits you in the face mask. You can't catch it. Another one, a throw from the left hash to the right numbers, Ja'Cory Brooks, a drop. Now, those are those are big-time plays that you expect a five-star receiver to make. And as much as we bragged on Brooks last week, you got to come back and say, man, dude, what are you doing? And when the heat gets turned up on this competition, Tyler Harrell is a legitimate threat to come out there and play. Now, he doesn't play the same position as Ja'Cory Brooks, obviously, but he's a guy that if you thought Burton was going to be a go-to receiver, well, it looks like you found that in Holden. You have confidence in Prentice. You have Tyler Harrell, who you think could take the top off the defense. They all kind of play very similar roles, slot receiver type of players. But 
Um, Aaron Anderson, another one of those too. Man, just put the best ones out there. If you're dropping passes, we have the depth to say, man, your your hands are hard today. Get get on the sideline. And Brooks has helped us. Brooks hurt us a little bit Saturday. And Burton, to me, man, it's just I don't think that he got that Bryce got enough confidence in him in the offseason for some reason, what it might be. But he's got confidence in this guy, Treshawn Holden. He's got confidence in a true freshman, Kobe Prentice. He's got confidence in a true freshman in Isaiah Bond. And I think that's what makes a, a quarterback great. Get a guy on the field. Let that receiver show you that, that he can get the job done. And then go to him. If he's open, go to him. And quite frankly, Burton, he's been open a few times. We haven't connected. But he he gets covered up a lot. And he wasn't open a lot on, on Saturday either, even when Bryce was in the game. So I expect maybe not to see Harold and Anderson this week necessarily, but I do expect that rotation to get a little bit a little bit deeper because Saban knows he cannot roll in to late the season because you know you're going to get guys banged up. You cannot roll in late in the season with guys that are inexperienced and expect them to go perform on a high level because that's what happened to Alabama last year. Yeah, and it's good. Um to have that those many guys rotating because like you said, injuries could take a take a part in it. Um, but it's not like the offensive line that like we were talking about earlier with McLaughlin and Booker. That's a situation where you've got to be able to gel as a group, man, on a receiver, you could be 15 yards from the next guy. I mean, it's all about, it's a one-on-one position because most of the time, especially on the outside, you're facing man-to-man. And a lot of the time nowadays, if you spread it out on the inside, you're going to be facing man-to-man as well. So it's not really a position where you have to jail. Yeah, you have to have a communication with the quarterback and a, you know, a, a confidence level with him because that's what you said. It makes a lot of sense that Bryce is kind of looks like he's willing to let it go to everybody but Burton. And um, and if you're if your quarterback's getting pressured, he's going to stand in there. He's going to take a shot for you because he has confidence that you can catch it and you get it you let it get broken up easily and you don't go up and high point it or, you know, you just flat out drop it like he's done a couple of times, then that's not something that, that it's going to get you a lot of reps and get you a lot of, of balls thrown your way. Lester, we've talked about this before, not on the podcast, on our group texts. Do you think last year, you know, JMO and Mechie were consistent as hell. And then you had hella inconsistency with that third slot this year. Alabama, I would say there's not anybody that's consistent. Uh, Holden will show he'll drop the ball too. Um, I guess if you had to say he would be the most consistent one, but the consistency level is nowhere near what you had last year at the receiver position. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Because I think if you have maybe one good receiver, it's easier for a defense to take him away. If you have two consistent ones, that's great because that makes it very tough to double team two guys, um, especially if you've got another receiver and a tight end in the route in the route combination. But if you have nobody that's consistent, that can also help you out because as a defense, you don't know who's going off this week. I mean, don't you think Arkansas prepared, prepared a lot to cover Ja'Cory Brooks? Because, hey, look, this dude went six for 117 against Vandy. Bryce went to him in one-on-one situations. He went to him in the red zone. He went to him everywhere. So isn't it obvious that this is Bryce's guy and they've they've found some communication there? And so they probably spent a lot of time on him. He was a non-factor. And all of a sudden, you know, you got Isaiah Bond running past safeties and, and Kobe Prentice making plays and JoJo Earl 
So which one do you think is better uh, as far as a consistency in your receiving core? Um, I would personally like to have, you know, four, five, six guys who can come in and. Well, you know, obviously. I mean, but, yeah, you want seven oh, that, consistent guys. I get that. Right. I'm about, and the scenario, basically, the scenario that Bama had last year and the scenario they had this year, as far as preparation, and I mean, even though guys prepped for, for Devonta Smith and J-Mo, uh, they still couldn't stop him, and I understand that. But right. is it – what I'm saying is, is it such a bad thing that you have some inconsistency with the receiver group? Sure, you don't want a third and five slant dropped. That's got to get better. But as far as – not being able to key on any one guy when you're prepping for an offense. I mean, is that a good or bad thing? That's um, that's a good thing because you don't know who to cover. I mean, sure. You, so, like like Bryce, J-Mo was an elite guy, but you can still shade to him. You can still, you know, shift to his side of the field just a little bit to try to contain him. And that let other guys, you know, be more free to be open you know, to a degree, it, it's kind of a double-edged sword on how, you know, your offense operates. Because if you still don't have guys who can capitalize and punish um, via drops and things like that, then you're kind of just still stuck in the same situation, in my opinion. So, preferably with a quarterback like Bryce, I want that one guy who can dominate the field like JMO. But, you know, we don't have that this year. But we still have Bryce. So, All right, J-Law, um, quick synopsis of how you think the game will play out in Bryant-Denny Stadium tomorrow, and uh, give me a score prediction. Yeah, I fully expect Jalen Milrow to play. I expect to not see Bryce Young unless saving has fooled us all. Plus, I expect Texas A&M to be just as motivated. Our coach called them out the same way, you know, their coach called ours out. Uh, maybe in a little different manner, but it was all about the same stuff. So, um, home game. Uh, to me, the crowd too much for Haynes King. Listen, people, last year, Max Johnson got two starts. No, he, he came in the Arkansas game and then lost to Mississippi State. So it didn't like last year was Max Johnson's first start against Alabama. Yeah, he was back at quarterback, had the home crowd behind him. Haynes King, uh, we know that he is not as good. It wasn't. Come on, Calzada. Yeah, Calzada, not Max Johnson. Where's that guy Calzada. at? I thought he was pretty good against us last year. You think he'd have, I heard he got into the portal. You think he'd be showing out somewhere. Where is he at? Exactly. So, anyway, sorry, Zach Calzada. He, Calzada, Calzada was better than Haynes King. It turned out to be towards the end of that year because Haynes King's numbers before going out last year were awful. So, we know – that if Haynes King has to play in this game, he's probably the one, two, three. He might be the fifth best quarterback on the field. He'll be behind Bryce, Milrow, ah. and Ty Simpson. Connor <laughs> Weigman's better than him, but he just doesn't have the experience. You cannot put a true freshman quarterback that's never taken any legit snaps in this game against Alabama on the road. You just can't do it. So, I mean, he's going to have problems. But Jimbo's the same thing as last year. He's going to throw some things at us. Um that we haven't seen. we got to be prepared for it. think we'll be much more prepared for it at home. And, listen, last year, if we don't throw a pick in the end zone because Billingsley runs a, a crappy route, if if Will Riker does what he's done this year and kicks the ball out of the back of the end zone, or at least to the right side of the field, A-Chain doesn't take it back for six. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of things trending Alabama's way in this outside of the, the Bryce Young injury. 
I expect Alabama to win this game. I don't expect it to be a battle in the fourth quarter. I think Alabama has this one secure in the fourth quarter. Do I think that's a 24-point cover? Well, it actually have, you'd have to win by 25 to cover in this game. Um, so do I think that's necessarily 24, 25 points? I don't know, but I do think it'll be a multi-possession game going into the fourth quarter with Alabama getting the lead. I just look at this one, I think the same way you guys do, is where are Texas A&M's points going to come from? Unless Alabama has one of those special teams meltdown games, which we just had last week, so hopefully that's out of the way because we do that once a year as well. Um, I just don't really see a way for Texas A&M to win this unless Jalen Milrow just comes out and is completely ineffective. And if that's the case, you will see a banged up Bryce Young come into this game. So listen, I like Alabama. I'm going to say 34-14 type of ball game, a 20-point game potentially when it's all said and done. I hope that wasn't Chase's score. I'll change oh, it for on you. The, on the button. Hey, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of 34-14, 37-17. My bad, dog. I didn't, I'm sorry. I did, I had no idea that was your score. I'll go 37-17. Um, that makes <laughs> you feel better. Um, but I just don't see Bama. This isn't going to be one of those 49-point games. They're not, we're not going to put up 49. I don't think we, you're going to have the, the offensive game plan to just be able to score, 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 score in this. We're going to get a lead, sit on it at home. I love protecting a lead at home. I hate trying to protect it on the road like we did last week. So give me 34, 14, 37, 17, somewhere in there. But Bama wins this one with ease at the end. Gives Bryce Young another week to get ready for that Tennessee game. Yeah, I, uh, I had a 20-point win. Also, I had exactly 34, 14. Um, we just had to agree to agree on that score. But, uh, you know, last year A&M really fooled Alabama with a lot of motions. They're in the comfort of their own stadium. It was hard for Alabama to um, check make their checks um, so fast and they hadn't seen it. I think – I can't remember what the exact numbers were, but Cole Kublik does a great job with this and his Sunday breakdowns. He said that in the two prior SEC games before that A&M had lost, they ran motion. It was like 10% of plays, maybe eight. And then against Alabama, it was like 70% uh, of motioning. And a lot of people that – if you don't understand the X's and O's of football, you're like, well, what does that – what does that mean? When you run a complex defense like Nick Saban, and everybody knows this now – so you watch everybody play Alabama, there's hella motions that they do. And um, if you need to watch the way Alabama prepares for these motions and all the stuff that happens, just from a guy going in motion, go watch the end of the or end of the Nick Saban show after the Vanderbilt game. I mean, he said that as soon as a guy goes on a fly motion, the corner's got to drop, the the defensive end and running or linebacker has their duties completely changed. And so not just the corners who see the motion, the linemen have to see it. Everybody's got to see it. And then the safety's got to walk down on the other side. There's like so much going on. And uh, Nick Saban talks about it like it's nothing, but it's a very complex defense, and he's run it for so long. Everybody knows how to attack it. They know how to get you out of formation. And so A&M had that privilege last year being able to do that at home. It's going to be a lot harder to do on the road. It's easier for Alabama to communicate. Um, Anaya Smith is is not playing in this game. He scored twice last year, so that's a big blow to them. So basically, you got to stop one playmaker on their offense. I still think Jimbo has some stuff for us to move the ball down the field, um, maybe get us to bust a coverage or two and, <clears throat> you know, get to the 30 and maybe throw a long pass to the end zone or something. I'm going to give them – I'll give them the 14. And uh, just with Milrow, I, I look for him to play also. For my sanity, Saban, please don't put number nine in the game. He's not ready. 
even if it's a minor AC sprain, if he's not been 100% in practice, please do not put him in the damn football game and risk your whole season. Because if Milrow goes down, you lose to Knoxville. You lose to Kiffin on the road because that team can put up points. They're running the ball on everybody. And their defense has gotten a lot better, too. They just held Will Levis in Kentucky to, what, 19 points under 20? So that's the one you got to play on the road. LSU on the road won't be a cakewalk. They're getting better and better every week. And if they can keep their quarterback upright, I think they're going to be a problem in, in early November and around a month or so. So don't run the risk of ruining the rest of your season for one game. Like I said earlier, if you're down 10 at halftime, yeah, shoot them up and let's go. Tell them to tough it out. We'll deal with it after that. Because it is a division game. You want to win this one just as bad as the other ones. But, man, that one next week is big. Um, and you really need nine healthy for that. But I'm going to say 34-14. I think Jalen can get it done. Um, J-Law thinks they're going to stack the box. I think they're going to – I got I got faith. Bill O'Brien, don't make me eat crow, dude. Like, just, just let me have some confidence in you. I have confidence in you here. You're going to spread it out. You're going to run the quarterback. You're going to pick your spots, and you're going to help him out in the passing game. It's easier to throw when everybody's spread out. Don't put him in a tight box. Don't make him face a tight box. Spread him out. Let him work. 34-14, bam. Lester, what you got? 41-16. Shit. Lester's a straight ass kicker over here. Look, I, all right, 41-16. Defense, I'm going to call for a defensive uh, touchdown or special teams touchdown. Look, we haven't talked about it. Shout out, shout out to Kool-Aid and the punt team, number one in the country, conference, whatever. But he's been a complete badass returning to football this year, and I freaking love it. So look for that guy to break one. He's been so close so many times. Um, I don't think all of our touchdowns come on offense. So, yeah, I'm going to go with 41-16. Jay Lawish, you're better the week. Yeah, I always like to have a top 25 team included. Oregon, I think, is even on the road at Arizona, but they're only minus 13. Um, I like them by probably 17 or more. Bo Nix has been sneaky good the last couple of weeks for Oregon, which has got to be a little um, – bad taste in the mouth for our Auburn friends that listen to this podcast. So uh, it's, it's West coast pac 12 after dark, super night game. I think for Oregon, if I, I'll even pull it back up just to make sure. Um, but I like Oregon to cover the 13 uh, against Arizona. I like that one. It's a tough place to play. Jayla, you're getting kind of surgical with these picks. Would you say you were four and one? Yeah, I am four and one. My last, my last week's pick, I was, I was, I, the Brock made fun of me because I say I said I think Kentucky goes on the road. Oh yeah, and, I and should they, put money in cover. that game. Yeah, and they and they did. Yeah. So they did. Uh, I like that one. Now my only mess up was thinking Wisconsin would hang in there with Ohio State. I, the a good one to pick if you have big nuts was Ohio State going on the road to Michigan State. Michigan State's bad, but the line's like twenty seven. I think they can get that too, but I wouldn't put money on it. I don't know if Michigan State can score. That game might end up being forty nine to ten. And you talk easy cover. Yeah, you talk about something. Remember when they gave Mel Tucker that nine and a half million dollars, and Lester was like, "Damn, they're just paying anybody anything." This guy's awful. Yeah, I mean, one good year is all it takes. Um, yeah, Lester. Um, my my bit of the week. 
I'm like, I think I'm like over, but I don't care. J-Law, can you guess what my bet of the week is? I'm going to go with A&M a, plus, yes, 24 a and and plus 24 and a half. Exactly. We've done this two weeks in a row. Let's make it three. Come on, Tide. Cover for me. I don't, I don't mind losing. I don't have any money on this. We don't have a state bet or anything. If we did, I'd probably be looking at it a little bit more closer than I do. But, hell, if we're going to roll like this, A&M plus 24 and a half, book it, guys. Let's hear what you got. Lester, Ooh, take Georgia. A, take there, Georgia. I, there's Ooh, a couple. That's a couple good ones. So, all right. I'm going to take Georgia to cover that 20 and a half, but Tennessee minus three on the road to LSU. Dude, I, I can't get a read on that. I really can't because, like, Tennessee's going to cover. Man, that's tough. That's, because, like, I want to everybody Tennessee. tell us about Death Valley at 11 a.m. Dude, that place is still rocking. They might not go to sleep. And they're yeah. opening up the stadium at nine o'clock to drink oh, beer. I, I sent y'all the tweet. Yeah, beer sales, beer sales start at nine a.m. And they'll be blowed <laughs> out. I mean, yeah, I don't think that the time of the day has. Of course, you know, night games in Death Valley hit different, but still to be thing to be electric no matter what. And if that's not a trap game for Tennessee, then what is? You got the number one mm-hmm. team in the country coming to your house. You got a fifteen year losing streak. Uh, uh, and a ooh. horrible pass defense. Something smells, yeah. dude. Something smells in that one. Tennessee minus three. <laughs> All right. Good deal, guys. We'll uh, appreciate y'all listening in. Auburn fans, you know, this too shall pass. Um, I hope it doesn't. I hope you're bad forever. But that's just coming from me. But, uh, you know, usually it doesn't happen. You'll get a guy in there, probably Hugh Freeze, and y'all think he'll be good. And, I think he's average too, but that's for another date. Uh, until next week, roll tide, episode 72, Gunpunters Podcast. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Jeremy Law, we're out. <laughs>